enthusiasts who appreciate the art of boxing understands that I have a talent. I love the camera. You know, I, I love to be the showman that I am. It's my vocation, it's my natural way. I'm naturally a show-off. I'm a human being, I'm a, I'm a thinker. I'm a very gentle person. I'm an intelligent person and I'm kind. Now that is bad. On ringside, we've had plenty of big names on the set. Mike Tyson and Sugar Ray Leonard, to name but two. And now we bring you one of Britain's legendary names. Christopher Livingston Eubank left an indelible mark on all of us who saw him fight, proving himself an excellent world champion, a real character, and one of the toughest men in the era of great super middleweights produced by this country. Chris, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> That's kind of you. <laughs> you make me blush. <laughs> Thank Chris, you so you know, much. I've read your book. I, 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 we boxed around the same time, we boxed on the same bill, so I want to hear what you've got to tell me about your career. What made you the man you are today? You started off uh, in, in, in the Bronx. Did that make you the fighter you are today? Well, I, I guess in terms of hardship, uh, yes. Uh, you see, in New York, what they tried to do is break you. They told you you were full of it. You're wasting our time. The quicker we can get you out of here, the quicker you can stop wasting our time. That was kind of the ethos of the gym. Now, my, my view was if I can stay in the gym, because they made you spar every day, um, and they looked for you to take the two days off, the three days off. Mm -hmm. They looked for the chink, you know, where you start to break down. I was in that gym every single day. You were a gym rat? Every single day. And, you know, I had this view that, uh, how, you know, I have to intellectualize this. I have to win in life. And so therefore, how am I going to make sure that I win? Well, I'm going to come to the gym every day. I'm going to take luck out of the equation because if I train harder than you, then by law of right, by universal law, I'm supposed to be able to beat you. It worked for me. It did work. Did you have the natural talent, though, too? No. No? Uh-uh. I didn't have the natural talent. Um, uh, talent is something that... Uh, I've been... I've fought many talented men and beat them. Why? Because I was more persistent because I was true. A talented man who goes out and takes two nights off a week, the law of the universe doesn't allow him to beat me if I've been in the gym seven days a week. Do you understand? And this is the philosophy of which my son, Christopher, has been brought up on. Talent, ability, I fought many men who had more ability, more talent. I beat them because I was true. That's why I say integrity is always number one. You brought up in staying in the gym, training, Getting up at four o'clock in the morning and running, not because there is someone to account to, but because it's the right thing to do. Let me tell you, you know, the guys who use all those, I'm going to tell you something now. You know, you have those guys out there, they're using these powdered uh, protein drinks. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting the business down. I like when guys are using that stuff because they'll never beat my son because my son doesn't use it. Nutrition cannot beat hunger, cannot beat truth. The mind can overcome everything. So long as you truly believe, it'll become real for you. And that worked for me. So, um, again, mind, tell me, come. Chris, let's, let's go back a little bit. You were brought up in South East London. Yes. Why, why did you leave and end up in? Because my father saw that I was going to end up in, well, prison. I was a street kid. Um, I was making 180 pounds a day. Um, uh, shoplifting. Um, I wasn't on any right track. I was smoking, I was drinking. 
uh, and I was hanging around with friends who were bad influence. So he said, right, you're going to go and live with your mother in New York. And once I was in New York, I didn't have anyone to influence me. Also about being influenced, I was always the leader. I was never a bad kid, I was just naughty, I was rude, I was... Uh, I was in front. I wasn't... I didn't follow anyone. So what did boxing do? It reshaped your... Boxing taught me. It taught me this. It taught me that the warrior is strong, yet his sleep is fragile, his wisdom an amalgamation of precedent, yet his decisions can't be based on the frailties of man. He is rather fueled by divine inspiration. Get that? Ascending from the heart. He knows not anger and only fears the unknown. The warrior does not judge, for his true assignment is to deliver evidence of superior behaviour to the creator of all men. The warrior does not dream of frontiers. He only sees horizons. The warrior is a creature of irony for his genuine task is to ensure peace. The true warrior knows, accepts and embraces, above all, integrity, which is his course in life, reason and the application of reason, which is his only weapon, and forgiveness. Did you do the as much one, reading as uh, this, uh, 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 One minute, one minute. And forgiveness, the one true cleansing virtue. And only when one can fully absorb these most divine of all virtues can one at last see how impossible and futile it is to make war. That's what boxing teaches. It teaches you to be honest. It teaches you to be calm, gentle, and true. Calm in that you are objective, but steady. Gentle in that you are strong, but you are subtle with your strength. And true in that you are transparent. You are honest. You have integrity. You will not be bullied. You will not be bribed. You will not be coerced. You will be transparent. Please. So through time and experience, you have not learned that in the gym. So oh, you've, got, you've learned that over time. As over time. This mind. is what boxing teaches you. That's why it's such a wonderful ethos. That's why Christopher, I have... He has the code. He has that ethic. And fighters, people... I mean, OK, you have one or two examples which do not project a good uh, view of boxers, but uh, overall, boxing teaches you a code of ethic. Please. Let me ask you about your amateur career, because people think, or young fighters think, they have to have an excellent, outstanding amateur career to end up like you, uh, to end up a world champion, or even to end up like me, and a, a former world champion. Is that right? How many amateur fights did you have? Christopher, my son, has had 26. No, you. How many did you I have? I had 26 amateur fights. Both. Well, did you do anything <laughs> special as, a, as an amateur? Um, special, I won the uh, Spanish Golden Glove Championships in 1984. Um, the amateurs is kind of like your apprenticeship. You make your mistakes in the amateurs. Try not to make them in the pros. You must try to win. The objective of the game is to score points and win. It's not to be subjective. It's never about disliking or hating or having anger towards your adversary. It's about scoring more points. It's about being objective. So the American fight school was an education. You had a few pro outings there, then you came back. Mm. Uh, what, what built you into the character that you became? <laughs> you know, you. You, the wonderful public, did it to me. The newspapers did it to me. You told me that I couldn't. And every time, you told me, every time I was told I couldn't, it gave me fuel. So, you know, if I wore something that people didn't like, they criticised it. And so I became more um, 
sophisticated with what I was wearing. Hence the jumpers and the monocle and all. Indeed. And, if I, you know, if it's my sense of fashion, who is anyone to criticise my sense of fashion? And what I mustn't do is bow to your criticism. After all, it isn't the critic who counts, not the man who points out where the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Or were you just bright enough whose face, to make yourself whose different face, to the others? Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and tears, the one who strives valiantly, the one who errs and comes short again and again, the one who understands the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, the one who spends himself in a worthy cause, the one who knew that best in the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he should fail, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold or timid souls who know neither defeat nor victory. Please. <laughs> no, but what I want to know oh. is, is, was that image, was it, was it made so that you did separate yourself from other fighters and that you actually became more famous for doing that? Whenever they told me that I couldn't, it inspired me. It injected me with fuel. I had to stand out. I wanted what? Respect. I told you before. Why did I get into the boxing? I wanted respect. My brothers had trouble respecting me, so I had to force it. I still didn't win them over. Regardless of how much I've achieved, I still haven't. And so I'm still trying to be this beacon, this standard bearer for youngsters coming through. He knew how to make me laugh. You know, he'd, you know, I remember watching just the other day, uh, I was in one contest and I came back to the corner and I said, how do you, crack, he slapped me so hard. Oh, if I had three wishes, I was always there for him, I always looked after him. I was always straight honest with him, told him what I thought when other people told him what I wanted to hear, I told him what I thought. And if you became my love. I always had a great laugh, it's a laugh away through fights because this game's hard and it's um, you're coming up to fights, so I was always messing about. When you're spilling the sugar all over the table. Yeah. I'm suggesting baby stuff. Sometimes you get a bit lazy and he would start to say, you let him back in, like you're gonna get a whack now they go, alright, I got a whack. I must have sent him in, I'd hurt him and let him know. You couldn't really train Chris Eubank. He had completely his own mind. He'd do what he wanted to do. And I thought I was a better trainer for stepping back and letting him do what he wanted to do and develop his own style instead of trying to manufacture. You've got a talent like that, you mustn't manufacture him. Let him get on with it. Cause here's what I would do. A great showman, a great showman and a very good fighter. <laughs> Sometimes he was, he was mad and you think, yeah, this ain't gonna work. But he always did, and he always pulled things around. It was a pleasure to be with. Did you find Ronnie Davis or did he find you? You know, the vibration of energy is good and, you know, good vibrations always find each other. Ronnie Davis has been one of the best men uh, I've ever met in my life. Um, and, and it is, you know, I am privileged to have him looking after my son. What was so special for you with Ronnie? He knew how to make me laugh. You know, he'd, you know, I remember watching just the other day, uh, I was 
in one contest and I came back to the corner and I said, how do you... Crack! He slapped me so hard and slapped me again and I thought, I don't even remember that. A lot of people do remember that shot. <laughs> All right, OK. <laughs> he, he was... Uh, he is, sorry, he is... Um, you know, he's my best friend. He's, uh, he's, he's a man I trust probably most uh, on this planet. I mean, he is... He has been... I tell you, I went to Dubai in 1997 and I promoted and fought in the first mm. professional boxing match in this Dubai and uh, there were some people who were not being uh, leading me up the garden path and we fell out for a time and I regret uh, losing my relationship with him for two years because there's two years I can't get back you know because Ronnie Davis is for me my friend and I, and I have very few friends. I have lots of acquaintances, but very few friends. Chris, as a fighter, I like... We know things happen in the background. People see the fight, they see the end result, but they don't see the things that are building up to that. Mm -hmm. We'll talk Ben, we'll talk uh, Watson, we'll talk, we'll talk those fights soon, but you remember coming to St Thomas's gym and being Harold Graham's sparring partner? Yes. And you achieved something that shocked, and it was very outstanding at the time. For two weeks, you, you were his sparring partner, and you were... And how many times do, did I hit him? Not once, until... I hit him once. Only once. Mm -hmm. In two weeks. In fill, that two-week period. The gaps in. And I got, well, I, I got punched to pieces every day. But you see, what boxing teaches is this ethos of patience, you know, of calm. And I knew that even back then. Um, and it was probably, what, the day before the end of the sparring session where I caught him with the shot, which did not put him on his on the seat of his pants, the shot was so hard, his back hit the ground first. It was a great shot. And, you know, right that away through shot. this, that one shot, and right away through this time, Nassim Hamid says to me, even today, it was embarrassing how you got picked apart every day. It was embarrassing. People used to look away and, like, Christ, John, this is what's going on here. But all the, all the time through the sparring uh, session, uh, these weeks of sparring, uh, I was always calm. I was always gentle and I was always true. And I got there in the end and it taught me so much. You know, so Harold Graham has been a, a huge influence. In fact, I've had, uh, I've had uh, Harold come down to the gym and, and actually give Christopher six days of training. Uh, you know, a magnificent fighter he was. Would you have ever boxed him? I said publicly when I won the world championship, you see, what you mustn't ever do is dodge a fighter. Because if you do, you lose honour. But you can, if you're clever enough, I guess, speak your truth. And I said clearly after I beat Ben for the World Championship that I would never fight Harold Graham. I was asked by the reporters, well, why? And I replied, why would you fight someone you can't hit? You can't hit the man. Amazing fighter was Harold Graham. Great fighter too, you mentioned Nigel Ben, and the fighter that really made you didn't he as well that was a, a wonderful night and he was the nation's sort of hero and great character there's a big smile <laughs> a smile because he said the nation's hero isn't that something you know and you know i look at the belt i look at that symbol and we all think we're looking for the symbol get the symbol around your waist because then they say you're a world champion but then i learned as the years went on and as they went by that 
it wasn't really the, the symbol they put around your waist that made you champion. It was winning the hearts of the people. That's, and that's the key thing. And if you can get that, it's a wealth that money can't compare to. You know, financial wealth is secondary to, in my view. Uh, and that's what I wanted. I wanted the respect of the people. I wanted to be liked for being a human being. Uh, and, 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 and winning the belt, but winning it correctly. Um, uh, and I'm not just talking about Ben here. I'm talking about even losing particular fights. When I lost uh, against Carl uh, Thompson, uh, when my eye was shut, you know, in battling valiantly until the end, again, you win what? The hearts of the people, which is more important than the belt. I've seen many champions carry the belt and people say, uh, not for me. And I've seen people lose and they are embraced by the people. Henry Cooper is a very good example of that. Mm. Winning the hearts of the people was always the key. But the Ben-Eubank rivalry, I remember I, I was actually a Eubank fan, but most of my friends were Ben fans. I don't know what you were, Johnny, at the You're time, but it was... I'm not, I'm not, and I'd say that to <laughs> Nigel's face as well. I was because I liked that sort of air of mystery about you, whereas most of my friends at the time liked Ben because he was a warrior and he was... It was all that. It was just brute force, wasn't it? You know what? He found Christ at uh, 40. The very reason I beat him is because my, I was brought up in the church. And the church actually teaches you to be calm or to be objective and steady. So the very, the reason, the, the very reason or the very reasoning I used to beat him is what he found at 40. Do you understand that? Yes. Yeah. Who are you a fan of? Of the two of them, mm. Mm, I'm trying to decide. Uh, <laughs> I, I liked Chris's style. Uh, Nigel's style as a fighter from Brendan Ingalls' mm. gym is not something we were familiar with. Mm. Uh, so you'd, you'd have to side with Chris, but Chris was very good at getting under people's skins. <laughs> like you did with Nigel. How, how did you know? You just seemed to have his number, outside the ring as well as inside the ring. How did you figure that out? Well, I've, a lot of... I, I didn't figure anything out. What I figured out was that there is only one way, and that is to be calm, gentle, and true. So, you know, my, my, um, our contest isn't personal. It's not supposed he to be personal. personal. He made personal. And that's why he lost, because he made it personal. He was subjective. I was objective. I was keeping my eye on the target, not on, not on a person. How can I dislike someone I don't know? I've never disrespected his... His, uh, his mother or his children or hit him. So why, why did he dislike me? I didn't get that. But what I did get is the fact that, yes, that man I can, you know, I may not believe in me. I didn't believe in me as much as people think. Really? I did not. Mm. But <laughs> you I can beat. I may not believe in me, but you I can beat because I can see that your style will actually fit my beating of you, mm. if you will. Um, so again, it was always objective, which is what boxing and it's what I do now. And I go into African nations, developing countries, and I teach the ethos of boxing. Everybody thinks it's about this violence. No, it's about never using it outside of the ring. You only use it inside. Did you believe you'd beat Michael Watson? Did I believe I would? Hmm. In the first, fight. the first fight? Yes, and I believed it in the second fight. Uh, only to find out in the sixth round that it was never going to happen. I was never going to beat this man. He was... It was going through was those first few rounds that... 
that made you realise how good he was? Yes. I mean, uh, I, I was outpunched, outboxed, outmaneuvered, outthought, outfought, outenthused. He beat me in every single regard. Uh, for me, when I look at that fight, I can put it in the top ten of all the, the best fights I've ever seen. Uh, it's a great fight. Why? Because uh, a man who was controlling the system of boxing or at the top of the system in boxing at that time was being given a boxing lesson by this Michael Watson now. Um, so you look for lessons. Well, uh, as I say, integrity. Not because there's someone to account to do you get up and run at 4 o'clock in the morning. Not because there's someone to account to because you get hit with a shot that has concussed you. You get up because it's the right thing to do. And that, it's not the outcome of the fight, the fact that I got up is what I teach to my children. Steve Collins, mm. let's move on. Mm -hmm. Do you seem to have, I don't know, played your own game? Uh, yes. Yeah, Steve was very good. I mean, listen to this story here. I go to Dublin to have this press conference with him. I go, to, I go to Dublin. I'm the champion of the world. I go to Dublin to have the press conference in his backyard. He turns up an hour and a half late. That's OK. It's just a trick. It's not just... bothered you so far? No, of course not. OK. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you do. You're, you are who you are, and I am who I am. OK. He then speaks in Gaelic for the next half an hour. <laughs> Still, you're just Steve, and I'm me, and doesn't matter. When the referee says box, you know, it only can be one way. This is my view. Then he starts speaking in English. He says, you know, Mr Eubank, we all admire you. He says, uh, you know, the quintessential Englishman. You dress well, you're dignified, you're well-behaved, you're good at what you do. You seem to have a humility that people don't give you credit for. So he's, he's, butter he's, he's buttering me up. <laughs> and I'm saying, you know what, whatever you say, you're still just Steve. Then he said to me, I'm an Irishman. I do for the Irish people. I support the Irish people. You are not really an Englishman. You're an African. What do you do for the Africans? You see your face? That's right. I lost a fight at that moment. Then? At that moment. See, the fight was just uh, a formality. I lost a fight at that moment. Because you got inside you. Because, you said yes, something. There's, there's so many things for me to, to answer that I can't speak to a, a tabloid media about. They want sound bites. Did he outfox you? He, those words, you know, didn't you hear what I said? He asked me what I did for the Africans. I don't, I don't even know where my ancestors are from. I so don't, you made I don't your question yourself? I, I, no, no, no. No, I can answer the question. But the newspapers, the tabloids, are not about printing any philosophies. You know, uh, 400 years ago, we were brought from the Africas to the Americas. The really unruly slaves were left in the, in the Caribbean. Where am I from? I, I don't know where my history is from. I was born in the United Kingdom. I'm a Brit. I'm British. I don't see colour. I've been taught never to see colour in people. I see good people and bad people. I help the good, I stay away from the bad. So what he put to me was something that would be questioned. There'd be one or two guys in the inner city say, saying, yeah, well, what has he done for the Africans? He got me. And once he had got my mind uh, on him, as in I became subjective, I wanted, to, 
I wanted to hurt him. And that's when I lost you my first. And that's when I lost my first professional fight. Well, After we, 19 World Championship wins, I lost my first fight on the strength of that. Why? Because I wasn't looking at the target. Just score the points. Chris, we were in Mill Street in County Court. What yeah. about the hypnotist, the doctor, the spooking? What okay. about that? The second one. No, he beat me on. Uh, uh, my mind was then strong for the second fight. Um, he beat me um, on merit. He beat me by way of merit. Now, he is a man who I didn't realize was willing to give his life in a fight, which is really what it takes. You, you know, you, you, you can look back in the history of fighters as the guys. Dennis Andres was a, a good example of that. Mm. Didn't have the talent, but willing to give his life. I didn't know Steve Collins had that uh, grain. I, I didn't know he had that grain. And uh, yes, there's me. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, you know I've got the, I'm, I'm, I'm the stallion. I'm, you know, I, I've got all the moves. I can fire. He never gave me a chance. You know, the 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 first bell rang. Just 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 before the first bell rang, I actually saw tears. There was tears running down down his nose, down the side of his nose. That's how um, focused and committed he was. See, if you have truth, it's very difficult to be the man who, uh, you know, easy to be the guy who cares about the way he looks. Easy to be that type of guy. Guy who doesn't care about his life, very, very tough. So Steve Collins and I, you know, I use him as a, as a great example. You may be more talented, but if a man is willing to give his life, very tough to beat him. Great era, of course, Ben, Collins, mm. yourself, Watson, wonderful memories. That's kind of you to say. And it was. It's kind of, I, I was in it. I can't say, yeah, we, it was great. I, I, I can't but we could look at a worldwide scene and see Leonard and Hagler and Duran and Hearns. But in Britain, wow. we, had, we had a great bunch in Britain. Thank you. Watson, the best well, of the I four mean, of you? Um, well, you know, well, it's, it's... What do you think? It's clear to see what happened September the 21st, 1991. It's clear to see. He, he, he out, he, he beat me for one, two and three we drew from four to eleven. I took a beating, I've never taken a beating like I, I took. I, I knew I couldn't win the fight from the sixth round. So, so knowing that, but wanting to walk out, having to walk out a loser but on my shield, I'm not being knocked out by anybody, that was my... That was my thing. If I had anything about me, it was that. So, um, you know, uh, in that Michael beat uh, Nigel back in 1989 in Finsbury Park, and in that he did what he did to me, the fact that I won probably one minute of this fight, okay, it has to count, and the, the history books do record that. But the fact is, from 1 to 11, he was always in front. Mm. Well, from 4 to 11, he was always in front. Obviously, we know what happened afterwards, and Michael, an amazing story since. Indeed. How did that change you as a person? Well, as a fighter, my father said to me at the time, he said, he said, no, it was about a few fights after, where it, you know, he could see that I'd lost my finishing instinct. He said, this is not something, this is not the sport, this is not the business that you can actually be... Um, uh, merciful in. Is that why you waved Steve Smoger over when you fought Henry Wharton? Because you, you, you had lost that 
that instinct? I, you know, bludgeoning a man it went out of my character. If I had to fourth a knockout, I couldn't. Um, in fact, you know, Colin the, in the in the tenth round, I hit him with that shot, and all I had to mm. do was press a little, mm. and I would have taken that fight. When the finishing instinct is not there, you know, intellectually, you know what you're doing. You, you know where your mind is, you know what you should do, but it's just not, you know, it's like you've got to go forward, but you don't. Not wanting that to happen again. That was a bad period for me. Fascinating. Let's move on. October 1997, Joe Kawasaki. Mm. Were you surprised at, at this young man's talent? His, his hand speed, yes. And the fact that he hit hard. You notice I say fact, because mm -hmm. I was tasting those punches. Yeah, fast hands, lots of shots, and they were all hard. He hit harder than Nigel? No. No, Nigel Quicker, was... Quicker, maybe. Quicker. They, they, they were quick, hurtful punches, you know. Um, when you, you got know, up off the knockdown in the first round... You and smiled you, there, was a, there was a look at him. Yeah, you know. yeah, well, you hit hard. I mean, I didn't hit... Again, I didn't hit the seat of my pants. My back, I felt my back hit the ground first. That's how hard the shot was. Um, those southpaws. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. That's the one. It's, it's exactly what I said to my daughter. You, how you remember me is like this. The fact that I was and am custodian of my father's name. Mm -hmm. And it is my duty to make sure that I um, use his name to inspire to infect in the positive people, not to do anything which would cause dishonor. And again, my son has these traits and, these, and this, this upbringing is what's in him. And this is what will depict him to be a fighter of genuine worth, if indeed he ever becomes one. James DeGale. That's and a rivalry there, simmering. Christopher. Uh, is not rude, his nature isn't rude. Ah, in fact, how could it be? He's his father's son. And you, I mean, okay, the public may say, well, we don't know that. You know, you guys know me. It's not in my nature, so it will not be in his. Now, you know, uh, we went up to the gym, uh, quite far away, uh, Debden, I think it was. Um, Christopher, handled James well. Really? Um, I don't know anything but truth. Mm -hmm. It's not my grain to do anything or say anything which isn't true. Christopher is very comfortable with that fight. Only he has seven fights. Mick Hennessy has to hold him back. Christopher is of the view, let me off of my leash. Mick can't. And I have to say, you know what? You'll be a better fighter if you climb the ranks as you should. He's way ahead of his time. Now, you know, the reason I mentioned James's name is because he was rude to me. To you or your son? He was rude to me. He, 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 he must do what he can to get edge over my son. With my son, yes. And Chris, isn't boxing all about rivalries growing? Tell the story. Let's start at the beginning. They were sparring. Hold on. I was, I was, I was, I was in mid mid flow. Now, the fact that he was rude to me, he's given Christopher fuel of which he didn't have to. He's given him fuel. Now, the father came and spoke to me. I was never rude to him. 
um, I appealed to him to understand that we are parents. He said, you know, you told my son and gave him advice one day. It's not your place to give my son advice. I said, I gave it to him out of love. It's a, it's a warrior code thing. I was never rude to his father, so I haven't given James fuel to beat my son. However, James has given my son fuel to beat him. Which, you know, again, you know, and James knows the truth. Now, you can talk all you want about media and um, uh, sound bites. Oh, no, he didn't. I schooled him. You know, Chris Eubank is rude. All of this talk on the internet and uh, in the newspapers. Now, herein lies the point. They both know the truth. Truth always wins. So this, is this a potential? Oh, it's going to happen. It has to happen. They're in the same business. It has to happen. And I want it to. And may the best man win. I do not take sides. And need, son... A needle doesn't harm any story growing no, up. Well, I, I'm, I'm not creating. I'm, I'm actually talking of the facts. You know, Nigel mm -hmm. and I, we were real. It was not mm -hmm. uh, fabricated. Are you fine now? Do you get on now? Uh, let me just keep to the point. The point is that James and Chris Duffer Jr., it's real. So there is something brewing. And as you know, members of the public, we want to be entertained. Mm -hmm. Well, we have the Queensbury rules. We have the, the best boxing board of control in the world. This fight will take place at some point in the future. And if James should beat my son, I will not begrudge him the win. And I would say this to the father of James. Mr. DeGale, do not begrudge my son or myself if my son should beat yours. It's fair play, you know, and this is the mindset of my son. And if it's not, this is what I'm trying to teach. This way he'll be balanced and this way he can win the hearts of the people. I'm not so much interested in the belt. He's interested in the belt because he's young. So he has, uh, you know, youth and ego. He's interested in the belt. I'm interested in him becoming and being seen to be a man of standard, of good conduct. Oh, that's a very difficult man to beat. And answer my question about you <laughs> and Nigel Ben today. Friends? Oh, no. You know... Acquaintances? Acquaintances, yes. You, you know, two lions don't share the same patch. They just don't. It's like celebrities. You know, when do you see uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, in the company of uh, Richard Gere? Everyone walks their own patch. We respect each other. You know, on site, on meeting, we'll hug. There's a, there's a, an energy. Okay, well, we've shared our pleasantries now. Let me just go my way and you go yours. We respect each other, but we're not going to, we're not going to go out drinking together. It's what's like, tell me. Michael, your, Michael Watson, yeah. though. Friends, acquaintances, where, where, where are you and Michael now? It's the same thing. It would be unfair for me to say, I will support him, not will. I have yeah. supported him, yeah. much more so than even his closest friends. But to say friend, a friend is somebody who, Ronnie is a friend, in and out. You know, good and bad, tight, and big, I mean, you know, in all, in all areas, a friend is someone you're with, you depend on, he depends on you, okay? You are, you, you know, you, you, 
you, you, you win together, you lose together, you fight together, you cry together. That's a friend, acquaintance. Michael Watson is acquaintance and a very respected one, and I must say this too. I'm closer to these men than probably anyone other than their mothers and their children. When you fight a man, you get to know a great deal about that man. You, 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 you share, your souls share something together. I've smelt the blood on Nigel's breath. It smells like a, mm, like rusted, if rust had a smell, then that's, that's, that's the smell. Um, you know, when we went in to attack each other and we went in at speed and our elbows clashed like this and the pain was bitter, but the adrenaline masked the pain, you want a respect for each other. And it's an unconscious respect if you're not paying attention. If you should pay attention to these perceptions, you're very close. You know, you know, a man has a girlfriend and he marries this girl and the girl becomes his wife. Okay, well, really the man has the duty to protect her and he makes love to her. You know, what goes on between two men in a ring, what you're sharing is so profound. We are very close, very, very close. And that there is nothing and there shouldn't be anything personal with the punishment that one has to absorb. How close, how, how, you know, what relationship can be closer than that if you are looking at the perceptions of? Come at me. Chris, you hit the headlines for, for many different reasons in your heyday. Tell me about the, 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 the rivalry between you and, and, and Naz. Was it over the, the, the flip over the road? What was it? Mm. I know, but I've got to ask the questions. You know the truth. Uh, he yes, knows the truth. You know the truth. You were in the same gym. Well, the truth is, Nassim is, I believe, eight years younger than me. Um, there was an interview I was watching on ITV where he said that I copied his moves. You know, I've always been a giving man. Um, it doesn't cost me anything and it gives me great pleasure to give what I know. Okay, well, as you would know, I've always been... Uh, the type of person to give advice to people coming up behind, just as I did James DeGale. And I will continue to. Um, it's what I do, it's who I am. It doesn't cost me anything, it gives me pleasure again to give this information. And it is a mighty information. It is mighty. For someone who doesn't have this knowledge, um, to be able to have some of it, is, it's a very rich, if it's the trade in which you are trading. Nassim said on ITV that I'd copied his, copied his moves. He said to me in private that he was told to do it by his trainer and manager at the time. I said, but how could you do this? This is damaging to you. Okay. For those out there who would say, could there be any truth in it? Well, how could it be if he is eight years younger, one, two, I turned pro in 1980, sorry, I was an amateur in 1983. I vaulted the rope for every single one of my amateur fights. I was living in the United Kingdom. Nassim Hamid, I'd never heard of. I, was, I started boxing in New York City. So if I vaulted the rope 
60, sorry, 26 times in an amateur career which started in 1983 and vaulted the ropes, every one of my professional fights except my 51st, because I had bad knees, how could I have copied his moves? Doesn't make sense. Now, I'm going to leave you with this. If you go onto YouTube and get the fight up, which is Eubank against Dos Santos, mm -hmm. the fellow who I knock out in about 20 seconds, mm -hmm. including the count, always a pleasure. If you should get, if you should watch it, uh, maybe uh, uh, 90 seconds to two minutes after the knockout, you'll see a young man who is about, he must be about uh, maybe 15, standing, looking, and he's looking like this. <laughs> Let me get a look of him. <laughs> he had this look on his face. <laughs> you can watch it now. September 1990. September 1990. Watch me. that, no, no, watch the fight, and, and you'll see. Chris, how's life for you now? Have you still got the big truck? Oh, and the, of course. Uh, yes? Life is great. <laughs> life is fantastic. All those wonderful, quirky things that we used to love watching, the stories. Is it all still the same? That's your answer. <laughs> how's Hove? How's Brighton? All well, good? I, well, I've, I've been in Africa for two years, actually, training and helping develop uh, a national boxing team. Mm -hmm. um, I mentor. I'm uh, now starting to do some things in uh, the television area and uh, the movie area, and uh, I consult. I mentor. I teach. Do you know what? Uh, there's something now happening, as you'll see in the not too distant future, with fashion as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a great time. Do you know what stands out for me in your career? Uh, was uh, Berlin, Germany, oh. mm. 1994, Luciani. Mm. Mm. You, stood in, <laughs> you stood on the ring apron, growling at the crowd. They did not know what hit them. Mm. And I know what the crowd are like out there in Germany. Mm. So you must have been... Mm. You must have been the antichrist of these people because you, you really upset everybody. OK, but the wonderful thing about it uh, for Britain is that, you see, when Britain goes up against Germany, Britain cannot lose. You just mustn't lose. Now, me going over there, I remember saying to Jim Rosenthal, you know, you tell the British public you have a good man representing you here. Hmm. Now, the posturing, the stance, you know, the nonchalance, all of this uh, behaviour, as I thought you should uh, project, doing it in Germany works so well because when done against the Germans and not the Brits, well, I came back to the United Kingdom and uh, I went to a concert, uh, Barbara Streisand, <laughs> and there were 12,000 people, and Karen was breastfeeding. We got there at two minutes to eight. Everyone was supposed to be seated at 7.30. I walked into this hall and I had a standing ovation. 12,000 people. I nearly wet myself. <laughs> because the media had told me all these years you know, you are the villain. We don't <laughs> like you. That standing ovation, I tell you, it was really something. Now you can look back on. 
your career, what, what you want to be remembered for. Is it, is it for being the warrior or the entertainer? Or both? I wasn't trying to entertain. I was behaving as I should. It's, it's not right that you should walk towards the ring waving at people saying, <laughs> hey, that's not a warrior. A warrior is going into battle. So you're supposed to walk with uh, attention. You're supposed to be real. So, you know, I wasn't trying to entertain. But do warriors wear monocles and... That's, out, uh, 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 that's, that's, outside, no, that's outside the ring. Outside the ring, my fashion sense you may not agree with. However, I'm not offending anybody by wearing a monocle. I mean, the, that particular affectation is... It's, uh, it's cute. And again, what am I trying to do? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to make, I'm trying to, I suppose, um, uh, I'm trying to excuse the fact that I am a fighter, that I am tough, or so you think. How would you like to be remembered? Hmm. I'm so glad you asked me that question. You know, because I've been asked that question so many times, and I've always given the wrong answer. You know why? Because I was young. Now I'm a little bit older, and I'm sure in five or ten years I will have another answer. Um, but thank you. <laughs> Let me see whether I can get this right. <laughs> hmm. That's the one. It's, it's exactly what I said to my daughter. You, how you remember me is like this. In a fight I couldn't win, I got up. As a man? As, As a, man. a man? You know, I would like to end it really on that note. Always a pleasure. The pleasure's always mine. <laughs> I call you, I need you, my heart's on fire. Eubank, the man people love to hate in so many ways, full of surprises, a unique personality in and out of the ring. Boxing is a fantastic uh, medium for me to be able to do all the things I do. Oh, right hand! He really caught him with that. The count goes on to eight, and instead of following up the attack, Eubank stands in the corner and beckons him in. Oh, Eubank's got him. Brilliant work from the champion. Warren in desperate trouble here. And he's waving the referee in Eubank. He's saying, stop this. I have a voice because of boxing. And, uh, and from that point of view, it's, it's, it's very much appreciated. You're simply the best. Better than all the rest. Better than... He just rubbed Thompson. Thompson's hurt. Thompson is hurt. Eubank's got him going. He has the power, even at cruiserweight. <laughs> That's for the camera. And Eubank's comeback has ended in failure, but in many ways, glorious failure. It was wonderful to watch, Chris, but is it the end now? Well, um...
I wish I would have done this interview in a suit <laughs> now because, you know, my hair's not combed and, you know, it's not good. But you yeah. look like a working man in the gym, Chris, and that's what you're about here, isn't it? Well, that was, that was part of the illusion. I, always, I was always, you know, clean, cut clean and in my suit. You know, they, they showed, <laughs> they showed um, I heard there was a program on TV called uh, Questing of Sport, and they showed a picture of me, and it was like a, a picture people had to guess, and no one recognised me. And it was because I was training, I had my head down, I had my legs straddled, and my, my nose was probably touching the ground, and all they had to recognise me by was probably my forehead and haircut. Mm -hmm. And they didn't recognise me. And I think that's because people think of Chris Eubank in a suit, and the equestrian attire, and the cane, and the monocle, and to think of him training is just not really Chris Eubank, is it? I mean, or is that just me fantasising? Because I like to think that people know me maybe, for my... Maybe you are a master of illusion there. Well, maybe.